Could you open your Bibles up to Matthew chapter 7 this morning? Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 through 11. Let's hear the word of the Lord. Matthew 7, verses 7 through 11. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks, him for bread, will give him a stone, or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Let's pray. Oh, Father, it is a delight to come to you this morning in the name of Jesus to draw near to you, knowing that in Christ you have forgiven us of our sins, that you have canceled the record of guilt that stood against us, that you have called us your children, sons and daughters of the King. And you welcome us in with open arms and you love to hear us when we speak to you. You love it when we pour out our concerns to you and our anxieties and our needs. You are a good Father, and you love to bless us and pour out good gifts upon us. And so we ask this morning with, with great confidence as your children, how oh, would you bless this word to us this morning? Would you, would you open up our eyes to see more of your good character? Would you make us more confident in prayer? Would you uh, make us pers- persevere in prayer. Would you make us more zealous in prayer? Oh, Father, we ask these things in the name of your Son, and we're confident that this this morning you will work these very things in our hearts through your precious word. We pray this in your Son's great name. Amen. During the evangelical revival in the 19th century in the country of Scotland, God raised up many men, pastors, and evangelists who were devoted to life with God. And perhaps you've heard of these names before, men like Robert Murray McShane, Andrew and Horatius Benar, they wrote hymns, or the missionary William Burns. All these men came out of this period. And the the enduring quality of these men were not so much their academic achievements or their literary output, but their their holiness of life, their devotion to God. And when you read their biographies or their writings or their sermons or their journals, what you see coming out of these men is that they breathe for God. Their desires for God are just so heightened. They yearn for conformity to God's laws. And they were Christians who in this time of history experienced the nearness and the power of God. 
And one particular pastor from this time in church history in Scotland challenges us on the theme of prayer. A pastor by the name of John Milne writes, he says, Do we honor the work of Jesus by the largeness and the confidence of our requests? Just to say that again, he he says, Do we honor the work of Jesus by the largeness and the confidence of our requests? And essentially what Milne is asking us here is, does our prayer life, both, and we can broaden out his statement, how we pray and what we pray for, reflect the glory and the worth of our God? We could ask ourselves, what does our prayer life, both privately and corporately, reveal about our understanding of who God is and what he is like? And Milne is very bright here because he makes an insight into the life of prayer. And the insight is this, what we believe about God directly correlates to how and what we pray about. For example, if we scarcely pray, the problem is not simply our lack of time or the lack of energy or our schedule. Rather, the fundamental problem, Milne would say, would would be our, our prayer life is that deep down in our hearts, God does not have a weighty attraction to us. He has no gravity and he does not pull us in. And so if our knowledge of God is inadequate, our prayer life will be inadequate. But if our knowledge of God is deepening and growing, our prayer life will correspondingly be deepening and growing as well. One gives birth to the other. So how do we grow in prayer as God's people, as God's children? Well, John Milne, he writes in one of his journals, he he says, We must live near the Lord. Nothing will compensate for intercourse with him, yet we daily barter it for things of naught. We must try to cultivate attachment to Christ. It may be cultivated, it may grow, and then our religion would be a more happy, living, and actual thing. So what Milne is saying, to grow in prayer, we need to, we need to cultivate. We have to be like farmers to the, the soils of our hearts. We have to come to our heart and, and break up the hard soil. And then we must plant the knowledge of God deep down into the soil of our hearts. And then and only then will we reap a life of prayer that reflects the the worth of our God. And so our aim this morning as we look into the Word, into Jesus' instruction on how to pray, is to begin to see the character of God and then develop a greater attachment to cultivate more attachment to this this God revealed in Jesus' teaching. So as we look into the Gospel of Matthew this morning, it's always a worthwhile endeavor to study the Lord Jesus, but especially to study how Jesus teaches us, his methods. And when we look into the Gospel accounts, whenever Jesus teaches on prayer, a pattern emerges. He always founds his teaching on prayer upon the character of God. Who God is and what God is like always defines the matter and the manner of prayer for Jesus' people. And if we just work through Jesus' teaching on prayer in the Gospel of Matthew, we just see this, this pattern quickly emerge. It becomes very apparent. Why should Jesus' disciples avoid putting on a show and instead pray in secret? Well, if we look to chapter 6, verse 7, Jesus tells us, But when you, go, when you pray, go into your room and shut your door and pray to your Father who is in secret. 
Jesus is teaching us here about who God is. We pray to a God who hates the proud and the arrogant, but he delights in the humble and the contrite. This God who we pray to is not going to be used to build up our own fame, but he desires the earnest seeker. We pray in secret because our Father is in secret. Or we can move on. Why shouldn't Jesus' disciples heap up empty phrases in vain words? Jesus answers in chapter 6, verse 8. He says, Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask. Jesus is teaching here. Our prayers do not inform God of our needs, nor do they cajole Him to answer us. Rather, we can pray with childlike simplicity because our God is sovereign. He is omniscient. He is the God who knows what we need even before we ask Him. And perhaps the greatest question of all about prayer is, why should we pray at all? Why can we have any confidence in prayer? And Jesus teaches throughout his teaching on prayer is this, God is your Father. We can pray to this God because he's not distant or cold. He's not a deity who dwells in some far part of the universe. Rather, he is a God who has come to us in covenant love, and he has adopted us into his family. We are his children. And so if we come to Jesus looking for Five easy steps to learn how to pray better. He's not going to give us those because they're really not going to work. Jesus knows that there's a, a deeper change that needs to happen in our hearts. We need to know our God better. And when we know our God better, we will come to Him in prayer. And so Jesus continues to instruct us in the matter of prayer this morning in Matthew chapter 7, verse 7. He says, Ask and will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. So Jesus comes, and he invites his disciples, and he calls those listening to him to pray to their heavenly Father. And even more than this, Jesus begins to teach us one of the essential duties of the Christian life. He commands us to be a people who ask, seek, and knock. And in this simple verse, ask, and it will be given to you, Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. Jesus begins to reveal who we are as his disciples and who God is as our Father. As Jesus' disciples, he teaches us that we are his needy children. When we look out at the world, we can see the rich have no need to, to ask. Why? Because they have plenty of wealth. They can get what they want. The powerful have no need to knock, for they can, they can get what they want by their own means, their own power. The accomplished have no reason to knock, for they, already, for they already have what they need. But Jesus teaches that his disciples are different. And the gospel teaches us that fundamentally we're a needy people at all points. We're needy spiritually, we're needy physically. And Jesus in the gospel, he strips us of our strength and our pride and our accomplishments and he teaches us that we are a people who need to be saved from our sins. We're a people who are poor in spirit, a people who mourn and are persecuted, a people who, are, who hunger and thirst, a people who have constant need to ask for forgiveness and such a frail people that we need to even ask for our daily bread. So if we want to grow in prayer... Essential to this cultivation in our hearts is to know our own neediness. The more and more we take to heart this fundamental neediness, 
the more and more we will ask and seek and knock. So the true mark of one of Jesus' disciples is, is a mark of setting your face towards the Father in prayer. And this is the posture of all Christians. We're just beggars going to God looking for the bread that He provides us. But verse 7 also reveals to us the character of our Father. What is this God like? Who is He? Well, Jesus begins to tell us He is a Father who delights in hearing His needy children. And we just need to let Jesus' words linger in our ears for a bit this morning. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. What awesome words Jesus give us. We just need to let this sit in because we are praying to this God. This God who sits above the circle of this earth. The God who stretched out the heavens. The God of whom the angels sing endlessly, holy, 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 is the Lord God Almighty. The God who rules over the nations. The God who dwells in unapproachable light. This God who has no end or beginning. Who has never experienced lack but is completely satisfied in himself. It is this God who delights in us coming to him, in asking of him. He delights in his needy children. This is who our God is. He does not grow tired of our requests. He is not a God who resents us for knocking at all hours of the night. He does not hide from us when we seek him. He does not begrudge us for all of our needs. In fact, the more we ask of Him, the more we seek Him, the more we knock at His door, the more we bring all our needs to Him, the more God is actually glorified in our midst. Because God is shown supremely valuable in our lives when we continually go to Him in prayer. Because in prayer, we we forsake our own strength and we seek strength from Him, the strength that only He can provide. In prayer, we forsake our own wisdom and we go to the God who freely and abundantly gives wisdom to His children. We cast aside our own power, our own ability, and we appeal to God for His salvation. And as God's children, we do not need to be hesitant about approaching our Father about anything, but we can boldly approach His throne and place all of our cares and worries before Him. We can heap them upon Him. He is eager hear us. John Milne encourages us this morning as we consider our Father, His character. He says, God is not impoverished by the abundance of bestowment. Like the sun, He is never exhausted. This is the news we need to hear as needy children. Our needs, our worries never exhaust our God. And so this morning we need to cultivate in our hearts greater attachment to this God. And we can look to the Psalms to help us in this work of cultivation, this work of stirring up our hearts. Because the Psalms are are written to ready our hearts to seek the face of God. And they're written to stir us up because they remind us of who God is and what He has done and what He will do for us. Psalm 40 verse 17 says, As for me, I am poor and needy, but the Lord takes thought for me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, O my God. What the psalmist does is he combines both these elements. He confesses, I am poor and needy, but he also has confidence in God. 
This Lord, He takes thought of me. Who is this Lord? He is my helper. He is my deliverer. Or we can go to Psalm 118. The psalmist says here, Out of my distress I called on the Lord. The Lord answered me and set me free. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is on my side as my helper. I shall look in triumph on those who hate me. Again, the psalmist stirs up his heart to seek God by the knowledge of who God is. The Lord is on my side as my helper. Jesus continues to instruct us in the matter of prayer. Our God, is, our God delights in hearing us. Verses 9-11, through 11, Jesus continues to reveal the character of our Father. He says, Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Jesus begins to employ a very common argument. He argues from the lesser to the greater. He argues that if earthly fathers, fathers who are evil, tainted with sin, corrupt in heart, take care of their children, they don't poison them, they give them food, they, they take care of them, how much more will their heavenly Father, a Father who is completely perfect, completely good, take care of His children and give them good gifts? If evil fathers can do this, how much more can this perfectly good Father do this? We have to ask Jesus this morning, why does He argue this way? Why does Jesus seek to persuade His disciples of the goodness of God? I think Jesus does this because of who we are by nature. In sin, because of our fallenness, we by nature are people who doubt and impugn the character of God. In sin, we don't rightly perceive God or we don't understand what He is actually like. We misjudge His motives. Our perceptions of Him are clouded and distorted. We become ignorant of His ways. And we can trace the condition of our hearts back to our original parents. We can think of Adam and Eve in the garden. In the heat of temptation, Adam and Eve began to doubt the goodness of God. You just think of Genesis chapter 1. The author writes Genesis 1 in such a way to remind us of the goodness of God. Gift after gift after gift is placed around Adam and Eve. And when the tempter draws near to them, they soon disregard all of the good gifts that God had given them. They set aside all of the gracious attentions, intentions and plans that God has for them. And the, sermon tempts, the serpent tempts them, in essence saying, can you really trust that God's plans for you are any good? Can you, can you really entrust His intentions for your life? When Adam and Eve took hold of that fruit and they ate, they disobeyed God. And even more than that, they denied the, the goodness of God. They contradicted the Lord's character. They decided that the Lord did not know best for them. And the result of their sin, if we fast forward to the New Testament, Paul tells us, is they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. This is where doubting God's goodness leads us. When we doubt God's goodness, it leads us to foolishness. And even as believers, 
We have come to know truly who God is. That is what the gospel does. We often have these lingering leftovers stuck in our minds. We often can be like the Israelites who experienced the power of God in the Exodus. We can think of all that the Israelites experienced. They saw God deliver them through plagues. He saw them split the sea. He saw God work as a mighty warrior before the Egyptians. They sang with Moses at the edge of the sea, praising him. However, when the Israelites were in the wilderness in the place of testing, they soon forgot God's love and power and his goodness. All of a sudden, when their stomachs hurt, is this God really good? When their lips were parched, is this God really good? No, I don't think so. He's brought us out into this desert to to kill us. So our need this morning is to plant the seeds of God's goodness deep down into our hearts. And this is what Jesus is doing as he preaches to his disciples. He preaches so that we might further entrust ourselves to the goodness of this God. He seeks to convince us of this fact because our hearts need this convincing. And this is our fight in prayer to continually remind ourselves and and bank upon the goodness of God. And we can do this, and we must do this. We must trace the goodness of God out. We can need to remember that God's goodness is not bound by time. But as Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 1, even before the foundation of the world, he's been planning good things for his people as he predestined us in love. And Paul tells us in Ephesians that God's goodness even reaches into the coming ages where he desires to show us, continually show us his grace and kindness. We have to know that God's goodness is not limited by cost, but he has ransomed us, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. We have to know that God's goodness is not conditioned upon our worth or our work, for He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy. We need to know more and more of this God's goodness to us. We need to be able to say with the psalmist, truly God is good to Israel. So we can pray with confidence this morning because our Father delights in hearing us. And this Father who delights in hearing us is a good Father. And Jesus this morning continues to build our confidence in our Father. He teaches in verse 8, For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Jesus assures us that God will not only hear us, but that he will actually answer us. The one who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, it will be opened. Jesus reveals again more of the character of God to us. Our Father in heaven is not miserly. He does not deal with us with a short hand. He's not out to lunch. No, our Father is generous. He is spendthrift. We might even call him liberal with his children. He opens up all that he has in Christ and he pours it out upon us. What is our God like? He's he's like a spring that constantly overflows with life-giving water. He's like the Son, always giving forth light. He is the Father, always giving good gifts to us, to those who ask. And Jesus' words this morning are so straightforward and so beautiful. Ask, and you will receive. Seek, and you will find. Knock, 
and it will be open to you. We have to pause here and let these words settle. This prayer is so simple. These promises are so great. But why do we have so much trouble in prayer? Why do we often lack fervency in our prayers? Why do we often falter in perseverance? So often we fall short in praying because we actually doubt what Jesus says here. We actually believe in our hearts that God actually won't do anything when we pray, that he actually won't act on our behalf. This is where we need to go back to the gospel because the gospel teaches a fundamentally different message than the doubts of our hearts. And Jesus reveals the gospel message to us in verse 8. God is generous with the people who do not deserve absolutely anything. He gives to the undeserving good gifts. And so how can we this morning cultivate our hearts to pray and to, to pray with more fervency, to pray with perseverance? Well, we have to go back to the Psalms. And David teaches us what we need to do in Psalm 103. He says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. David is telling us, don't let the goodness of God slip out of your fingers. Don't let the generosity of God slip out of your fingers. We have to do the hard work of bringing to mind all that we have in Christ. Because when we remind ourselves of the generosity of God, we'll persevere in prayer. We'll pray with more fervency. And Paul reminds us in Ephesians chapter 1 just how generous God has been to us. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Our Father has opened wide the bank. He's given us complete access. He's poured out every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places upon His people. And we need to arm our minds with the promises of God's generosity to us. We need to go to verses like Romans 8.32. We need to reason with Paul. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? And what a difference this makes as we approach our Father in prayer. When we come to God, we're not offering Him our best sales pitch. We're not cajoling Him. We're not bartering with Him. We have no reason to doubt Him. No, we come to our Father as His beloved children. We come to Him as children, redeemed with the precious blood of Christ. We've come to Him as children, sealed with His Spirit. We come to Him already having every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. We come to Him with the promise that He will give us all things. And we can come to Him again and again knowing that He will not turn us away. And if we ask, friends, this morning, fellow sons and daughters, He will give us the best gifts of all. If we ask, He will give us purity and He will give us righteousness and godly sincerity. If we seek Him, He will give us humility and love and merciful hearts. If we knock, He will give us steadfastness. He will give us hope and even holiness, we can be confident because Jesus promises us that he will not withhold these best gifts from us. So I hope this morning that your hearts resound with praise because this gospel that Jesus declares is so rich 
and grant. Our God has saved us from sin, death, and hell. He has clothed us in the righteousness of His Son. He has called us holy, and He has poured out blessing upon blessing upon our heads. And this all flows from His generous, good nature. And I hope this morning as as these truths trickle over your hearts, that we will all yearn together to go to God in prayer. For he has called us his children and he desires us to come to us. He desires to hear from his needy people. So we can have confidence. So the question is this morning, will we heed Jesus' words? Will we be obedient to his commands? Because he bids us this morning, he calls us, he says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be open to you. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we come to you and we ask and we seek and we knock and we expect that we will find and that it will be open to us. Oh, Father, would you widen our hearts this morning so that we might know more of your character and that your character would be planted deep down into our hearts. Oh, Father, would you work this morning through your word, through Jesus' preaching, to convince our hearts, to persuade our hearts of your goodness, your delight in us, and your generosity. Oh, Father, we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.